Welcome to our first official Once Upon a Time podcast. My name is Estelle Magecki and I'm excited to be joined by the creators and executive producers of Once, Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kitsis. Hi guys. Hi. Hello. So first of all, congratulations on a very successful first season. Thank, Thank you. you. And I understand that it's now also available on DVD and Blu-ray. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And there are, um, even if you've seen the season, I think, you know, one of the fun things is we set up things before episodes. So perhaps, you know, like we saw the puppets before we realized they were Geppetto's parents. So I think when you watch the season as a whole, you'll kind of uh, pick up a lot more Easter eggs or things that we kind of set up as well as the special features. Yeah, like showing the coffin very early in the season. And that's where the finale ended up. I mean, we had a lot of fun trying to to lay things in there and, uh, and you know, hopefully you'll enjoy them on the DVD if you check it out. And I understand there are a few extra extras on the Blu-ray. Uh, you know what, I would say uh, there's a lot of uh, extra extras on the Blu-ray and some really fun stuff. Um, you know, we're gonna show you what the town of Storybrooke is really like. We, you get to see behind the scenes and you get to see kind of how we um, bring this world to life. That's fantastic. Well, in order to prepare for season two on September 30th, we really wanted to explore some of the major themes that you introduced mm -hmm. us to in season one. So we understand that it's centered around fairy tale characters, but it has a very, very modern spin. So we just wanted to explore what happened in season one and give the listeners who are new to the series just a high level synopsis. Can you do that for us? Sure, I think, you know, the story really starts out with the evil queen who feels betrayed by Snow White because she never got to live the life that she wanted and she blames Snow White for ruining it. So tired of losing uh, in a place that is surrounded by happy endings, the evil queen cast a curse that ripped away uh, all the people of the Enchanted Forest and everything they love and brought them to the one place where she felt like she could win, which is our world, the real world. And now all the characters are trapped in Storybrooke, Maine, no longer remembering who they are. So Grumpy no longer remembers he was Grumpy the Dwarf. He thinks he's Leroy the Janitor. Little Red Riding Hood thinks she's just Ruby and works at uh, Granny's Cafe. But meanwhile, uh, the daughter of Snow White and Prince Charming, before the curse enacted, was sent out of the Enchanted Forest into our world because we realized she is the key to breaking the curse. And the entire show starts out with her 10-year-old son, Henry, who she gave up for adoption, comes back to find her so that she will reclaim her destiny. And so a lot of season one is, of course, about Emma, whether she will embrace this destiny and break the curse, or does she think this kid's crazy and it's just a weird town? And of course, what happens is it proves to be real, and she helps people along the way, and she ends up breaking the curse. But... What happens once she broke the curse is not what we thought would happen, which is everyone returns to the Enchanted Forest. Now they're back in Storybrooke and they remember both sides of their lives. And that's where season two begins. So lots actually happened in between because you really do go in and explore a lot of psychological themes and philosophical concepts as well, like good versus evil, mother versus daughter, friend and foe, revenge, love. Hope is a really big theme. Yeah. Even deception and redemption. Well, it's one of the things that we were really interested in was just that idea about evil, which is 
it's not that evil is born, it's made. And we wanted to show how these characters all became who they were. So it was never about retelling any of these stories. It was about hopefully telling you something new and providing insight into why the characters behave they do, the, why the characters behave the way they do. So for example, with the evil queen, we always knew from when we wrote the pilot that she was gonna come in and cause all this mayhem and do all these terrible things, but we knew that there was a reason behind it and it came out of a pain that she experienced, that something changed her at some point in her life. And that's a story that we told in season one or started to tell, which was when we saw she had a true love who was the stable boy and how her mother got in the way of that and how Snow White couldn't keep a secret and that betrayal by Snow White sent her on this path. And you know, it's interesting, if you go back and you watch the pilot, when Lana breaks into the wedding and she says, enjoy this happy, happy day, you realize what we said to her on the set was, this is everything you ever wanted she took from you. So now knowing the story and you go back and you rewatch season one, you understand why she was so uh, upset at that wedding. I think that's what's so interesting is actually going back to previous episodes. Once you've seen the next episode, you want to go back and watch the episodes from the very beginning to understand all of the links and hooks mm -hmm. that you've put in there. So you talk about all of these themes. Do you guys have a favorite? Well, I think, you know, when we started out creating the show, the very first theme we wanted uh, above all was hope. And, you know, that is the reason that we love fairy tales so much is that ability that your life can change. You know, and and that's for us what what this town needed was hope, and what these characters needed was hope, and that was the thing we wanted to write about. That was the thing that we were interested in, and you know, in in today's world where cynicism rules, we wanted to write a show for believers and believers of magic, and that that's kind of I think where the hope came out of. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really important to us to be able to tell a show where where you could see all the terrible things that can happen, but that good can triumph and that that there is, you know, that there is something special about all of us. And I think that that is sort of in the DNA of the concept, which is characters who think that their lives are trapped in this terrible place discover that there's something more to them and that they can be more than what they are and that having that hope is a really powerful thing. And you talk about crafting Once Upon a Time in the fairy tale genre, that that's actually one of your favorite genres. Can you tell us why it's your favorite genre? Well, I, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's common to all of us, which is that they're the first stories we hear. And fairy tales are our introduction to storytelling. And because of that, I think they have a huge effect on you as a kid, but the stories can be all sorts of things. They can be dark, they can be scary, they can be funny. And because of those kind of possibilities, for us as writers, it seemed like something really exciting to explore in, in terms of storytelling where we wouldn't be limiting ourselves to one particular kind of story. We can, we can kind of tell many different tones under one umbrella. Yeah, I mean, for us, you know, that was one of the things we loved most about Lost, which was one week we could write an episode where Hurley just needed to get a VW van started, and the next week we could have, you know, Saeed torturing someone in Berlin. And what we loved about fairy tale is the wide canvas of different stories. And you know what what attracted us also was the mashup quality. You know we love being able to have the Mad Hatter and the Evil Queen go to Wonderland and try and pull a heist. That the show was just such a a blank slate for us. That that's kind of what what excited us. 
Every week you seem to envelop us in a very rich visual and audible tapestry. Every single detail is so well placed and so thoughtful and you can see the care that goes into every single frame. What inspires each of you and how do you present those ideas to each other because you work as a team? Well, I mean, I think the inspiration comes from a billion places, whether it's from music or, or movies or books. Every detail on the show can be traced, I think, to something that touched us in some way, whether it's listening to a Led Zeppelin album. Or like seeing, you know, um, an ad in Vogue and seeing a costume and be like, wow, what if the Mad Hatter looked like this, you know? Things like that. What you do is you just kind of pull from this world that we absorb, all the culture and all the things that we're into, and we kind of filter it through into this show. And, and I think that for us, the show is about the details. You know, if the details aren't right, the show isn't right. And so everything has a purpose. Everything is done, you know, f uh, either thematically or aesthetically. How do you collect all of that information? I think it's just, it's, it's just being a sponge. And I think that's part of being a writer, which is absorbing things and letting them soak into you. And then when your voice comes out, it's just influenced by all of that. And, you know, so, some of it is conscious where we're looking for an idea to inspire us for a particular story we're trying to tell them. But most of the time it's subconscious. It's it's just all the, the collective things we've read, listened to, or think about lead us to say that this is how we want something to look or how we want something to feel. And, and I think that's ultimately what, what it leads to is what do we want the audience to feel and that that comes from all these different influences yeah and like for the Mad Hatter for instance for us the inspiration was you know he was Mick Jagger in the late 60s so his house was the big country house estate house that Mick Jagger might have owned and there was kind of a weird 60s sort of Edwardian feel to him and that was just us loving the Rolling Stones and us saying like that's who the Mad Hatter is on our show that's our version of him or, or, or like when we did Rumpelstiltskin's first episode where we saw him as a coward and, and the dark one was terrorizing the town and the, the ogre wars that was influenced a lot from thinking about Led Zeppelin and those kind of like kind which of which is why big, we named the original Dark one Zosa. Yeah, so uh, those kind of big, epic, scary, like you know, kind of which you know Tolkien influenced uh, stories, kind of kind of led to that that aesthetic, and so it, it comes from all different places. Yeah, you know, the Evil Queen was you know Alexander McQueen. You know, his runway shows and, and things like that. But you don't consciously, it's very rare that you rip something out and you say this will be good for later. It's more of you're looking at things and then later when you're talking about something, you're like, oh, you know what would be cool? And you, as Adam said, you just kind of have to be a sponge. And, you know, really for us, the, the key for the show is just opening yourself up to everything. Adam, you said in a Vulture.com article that Oliver Stone's Savages mm -hmm. does exactly what I want from a film. It feels specific. I know your fans feel that way about once. Was the vision for the series specific or did it evolve over time? I would say this, like, I feel like in success or failure for any, anything, like wh whether I'm watching a, a movie, a television show, book or whatever, I want to feel the voice of the author in any way. So when Eddie and I approached making the pilot, our whole philosophy was we are just going to try to put on film as specific a vision of what we've been talking about for years. And we had been talking about this idea for, for eight or nine years at that point. And you know whether it'll work or not, we don't know. Whether people will respond to it, we don't know. But as long as we make it specific to us, we'll feel like we'll feel good about what we did. Yeah, you know, for us, the, the thing is, is when the pilot was picked up and we knew we got to 
to shoot it, we thought, well, there's no guarantee it's going on air. And this is a crazy show with fairies and dwarves and kids and, you know, and so we were like, we just want to make sure that whether it gets picked up or not, we look up and we say every moment, every frame of that pilot is exactly the way we wanted to. And that was our feeling with the show because, you know, most shows get canceled. So we thought, well, if we only get five episodes, let's make sure that we look back and we say, those were the five that we wanted. And for us, those those are the best shows, the shows that have a specific vision. You know, you look at Breaking Bad, you look at Lost, you look at all the shows, you know, uh, American Horror Story, you know, there's certain people out there, you see the shows and you, the vision is so clear. And for us, that that was always inspiring. And I guess, I guess we felt like, you know, that for us, we had this idea for nine years. There was no point in doing it unless it was exactly the way we wanted to do it. And you said in the same article that you like to think the show is really a Bowie song told through fairy tales. You immediately sort of conjure up this vision. And of course, Mark Isham's music is yeah. unbelievable. I love the orchestral score. And it really does feel like an additional character in the show. And it's even referenced in the scripts as if it were a character. You actually say Isham Swell. Yeah, yeah you know, we, we started, you know, on Lost, we would do that with Giacchino. Uh, Damon would write in the Giacchino swells and whatever. And we immediately, it was shorthand for everyone. And we understood what the scene was. And for us, we love score and we were such huge fans of Mark's and we never thought we would get someone like that and one day we got a call from Mark's interest in doing the show we we're like is this a joke and we couldn't believe that he was willing to do it and for us you know because so much of the cinematic experience for us the whole point of the show was to try and do like a summer movie every week and part of that is score you know, what would The Dark Knight be without the score? What would any of these movies be without it? And for us, the show, it was so important to be able to visually tell this, but but really have, you know, the music carry the, the character and the emotion. And it really is a character because I think that, you know, what's so great about Mark's work is he has a theme for almost every character and he weaves them in and out. And it's just, I, I don't know how we would be able to do the show without him. One of the first things we, we did when the show was picked up to a pilot was go to the studio and, and ask if we can have a full orchestra. And they were totally on board with that from the beginning. And I think that was a, a huge help to the show, which is there's something about hearing music made by a collective of 25, 50 people at once that is just, even if you don't know it subconsciously, you feel it. It, it just, it takes you to another level of epicness. And I, I really wish the audience could all experience one of those scoring sessions where you go in there and you see the film projected in a full orchestra playing. It is just, it is stunning what, what Mark is able to do. Perhaps they can on the DVD. Oh yeah, perhaps, perhaps they, they can. can. I will say this, one of the, the, the one of the things I treasure most of season one is Mark Isham at the very end of it sent me a page of the sheet music. He sent me one too. And, he doesn't play uh, favorites, Isham. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and it was just, it was really kind of just cool to see that. You know, it was our show, but it was his music. Because the music on the show just meant so much to us you know obviously you can tell we're fans of it so they're amazing musicians amazing they're ridiculously amazing and I like to think of them as like vigilante musicians because you come into the session and they're the, the, these musicians who are just like they're just getting this music that Mark is just written because to do this schedule of 22 episodes and to compose that much music you're just constantly working and they just get the music with just a few hours and they come in and they just amazing these guys and men and women who are just 
phenomenally talented, but to also just to be able to do it on the fly like that, it's 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 the really amazing. Reading. to watch. They're score vigilantes, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, given that, do you actually hear a theme song when you're writing for a specific character? It's hard to say because it's it's kind of like you have this picture in your head of everything. You know, there you write the lines, but you know, it, it's also a collaboration. When we started out and we wrote the pilot. You know, obviously we had a few roles in mind for a few of the actors and we're luck lucky enough to get them, but you know, this is a collaborative medium and you can't do it alone. So when we write, you know, Rumpelstiltskin and then Robert comes and he delivers it, it's usually better than what you were hoping for and that's what you're always looking for is that third way, that elevated way. We have one idea, they have one idea, and then what, what ends up happening is this great combination third way that is better than anyone thought and that's kind of the magic of the show that's the alchemy and so when you are writing a scene all these things are in your head because you know you know just now having worked with them i you know we know that we can write certain things you know lana has her looks and jennifer has her looks and everyone has their things and we know isham's score and you're you're all just kind of, it all kind of sifts through you and you're, you're just trying to lay down what you what you envision. In season one, we were watching characters trapped in Storybrook. Most of them have no connection to their past. Yes. However, in the season finale, magic returns along with all of their memories. We're left hanging, of course, until September 30th, but we're all really ready for these two worlds to collide. Can you give us a tease of what we're going to look forward to? I think that, you know, when we we had the characters at the end of season one say magic is coming, we intend to follow through on that promise, which is to see magic in our world and how that behaves and what that means to these characters. And at the same time, the show will continue to be doing what it did in season one, which is going back and forth between our world in the fairy tale world and uh, and telling stories in that manner, but we also have some things that that surprises that uh, that we're excited to share. We we don't want to ruin them by by telling you, but uh, it's an extension of a lot of the themes we talked about in season one, which is, you know, magic has a price being one of them. Well. We've, we've seen many examples of that in fairy tale land. What kind of price does magic have in our world? Just before we go, we're going to answer a couple of Facebook questions. Great. If you'd like to join the Facebook page for Once Upon a Time, it's facebook.com forward slash once ABC. We've got a really good one here from Kimmy Adams. She asks, what is in the purple smoke rumple released? Ah, magic. magic. That purple smoke is him bringing magic to our world and what well, it, what, what effect it has right. on our world is what remains yes. to be seen and you will have to wait till September 30th but we can tell you in the purple cloud is magic and a little helium so we've got a question from Eilish Gleason. Please pardon us for, for mangling your name if we have. Yes. What gave you the idea for Once Upon a Time? Well, I think the idea really started from when Eddie and I were sitting around and to talk about what kind of show we would want to do ourselves. We got to talking about these stories that were so formative in, in our lives. And, uh, and that kind of led to a discussion of, you know, what would happen if, if these characters existed in our world. For us, you know, also we were talking a lot about the Evil Queen and how annoying would it be to be in a place that only had happy endings. I mean, you get in an oven to work in a gingerbread house and that stupid witch can't burn two children. And we thought, that's funny, but where's the one place where she could win? Our world. And that was the launching point. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us and we'll look forward to chatting to both of you next week. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you everyone for your yes. support.
support. Thank Obviously, you. we would not be doing season two without you. So. so thank you all. Thank you very much. If you'd like to be a part of our next session, please add your question to our post on the Once Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Once ABC. Subscribe to the podcast to join us again and don't forget to tune in for the Once Upon a Time Season 2 premiere September 30th on ABC and it's also available the following day at abc.com. <laughs>